So, retrospectors, what historical events are we ticking off on this week's run of Today in History? Well, Monday is the anniversary of the day Roger first publishes famous thesaurus. Then on Tuesday, we say happy birthday, Mr. Potato Head. On Wednesday, the extraordinary stories of the child soldiers who fought in the American Civil War. On Thursday, how King James changed the word of God. And on Friday, what did spam emails look like in 1978? We discuss this and more on Today in History with the retrospectors. Ten minutes every weekday, wherever you get your podcasts. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to For Formula One's Sake, the F1 podcast that has swapped his presenters halfway through the season and no good will come of it. Hey, well, which one of us is young then? I, b- I believe you've got about six months on me, so I'm the young one here. I'm young. Welcome to For Formula One's Sake, the F1 podcast that has socks older than Max Verstappen. How I old admit- are your socks? <laughs> How old is Max Verstappen? 18. 18. 19. Welcome to For Formula One's Sake, the F1 podcast that features more swearing than the Ferrari pit radio. To be fair, only swearing from Vettel this year. Raikkonen's not even bothered turning up. Welcome to For Formula One's Sake, the F1 podcast that wants Placido Domingo to stick to singing. That was still better than his podium interview. I'm Chikarez, and today we look back at the Spanish Grand Prix. We had a proper race! We spent the race wondering who might actually win. Our pulses were racing, we were on the edge of our seats. I only went to the loo once and no, I didn't wash my hands. It was a brilliant weekend and I'm going to be spending a lot of this podcast reminding Terry just how wrong he's been. (laughs) I think it's fair to say that history will judge me to be correct. Let's go for it and see what happens. With me in the Southwark Tavern in Borough Market is a man who has this week tried to become an expert in Watergate. It's Terry Saunders. I've listened to the full 13-hour audiobook of all the President's Men, so any Watergate questions... Why? That wasn't covered on the syllabus. <laughs> just because I had an Audible credit and I was like, oh, i just listen to the longest book I can find. <laughs> the only reliable information I can take from the whole 13 hours is that Watergate... It still exists as a hotel, and it's about £350 for a night, and it's in an area of Washington called Foggy Bottom. And alongside him is a motoring journalist who this week delved back into the mid-1990s. It's Phil Tromans. Hello, yes, this is true. What have you been up to? I uh, last night went to uh, the Royal Albert Hall to see uh, one of my favourite ever bands, the Manic Street Preachers, uh, who were oh. uh, 20 years on from Everything Must Go, performing the entire album in its entirety. And so I was fully back to the age of 16 as I was, enjoying life in the mid-90s and remembering a little bit about Formula One in 1996. Damon Hill, Michael Schumacher, war, controversial. If you remember rightly, in 1996, there was a, a young up-and-coming driver who unexpectedly won a big race, beating all his big-name rivals, Nigel went Mansell. on to amazing things, and it was, of course, future world champion Olivier Parnis. Not that I'm insinuating that Max Verstappen is going to be the next Olivier Parnis. I am. History will judge me. He'll be <laughs> Pastor Maldonado with that one win to his name. Well, we'll get that. So, Chica, what have you been up to? Um, well, today, 
Terry. I don't know if you've noticed, but it's raining. <laughs> I had noticed. And um, I was quite late for work, so I decided to cycle to work in um, casual cycle wear, which involved some leggings with bird poo on and my pyjama top. I thought, that's fine, because I'm just going to sneak in the back, go to the toilet, put some sensible clothes on, go to work, nobody will see. Anyway, pulled up in my pyjama top and uh, my bird poo leggings and then found out actually it was a BBC fire alarm. So the entire lot were coming out and I had to walk through all of the BBC wearing my pyjama top. Can you describe pyjama top? Is it, can it pass for normal wear or is it... It's, um, it's got purple, like snoozing hippos on it or something. And it's got a ghost on it that glows in the dark and it says, are you afraid of the dark? Are you How 12? Much? Let's start with the stories you've been talking about in this Listener's Corner. So Hamilton versus Rosberg. Of course, the question we've all been asking, whose fault was it? Adrian Michael Rees says, Bernie clearly, Barcelona is always boring. He must have had a word with them both, saying, fuck shit up and I'll pay you handsomely. I don't think Bernie's got any control anymore. I think he would have said that. And Hamilton would have been so infuriated that he'd been suggested that he'd crash on purpose, that he crashed. He lost it in a fit of rage yeah. at the very idea of him losing it at turn four or whatever it was. Yes. Okay, Lynchy says, hashtag Blaine Bernie or Maldonado. Well, wow. we haven't blamed Maldonado for anything for a while, but he's of course... since the last episode. Spanish Grand Prix was his one moment of triumph before yeah. that fire, so... Terry, he wasn't there. Wasn't he? Wasn't he? He Do you was know there that? in all our you hearts. Don't know that. No, I've got no idea. I mean, he probably couldn't afford the plane fare. He probably wasn't there, but, you know, might have been. Maybe he's a nanny. <laughs> yeah. He's an old pair. Sam says, who cares? It was a great race without them. They should take each other out more often. Absolutely right. I Fully think Toto agree. and uh, Toto and Nicky will take that on board. Maybe change future strategies to improve the racing. It was interesting because the, the general consensus was this is better without them. Maybe they should be fired. So what now? Nothing really. It was a bit of a racing incident. Is that what, what we're is that what we're saying? Well, well, the official podcast line, yeah, or my opinion. Well, I mean, they're one and the same. Exactly. The official line is that Hamilton did it because he's he's in a bad mood. But my <laughs> personal opinion is that yeah, it just shit happens. But louder, and also Jackie Stewart seemed to place the blame firmly at Hamilton's bejeweled feet, which oh. is weird because louder does love Hamilton. And Jackie Stewart's in the centre film saying to him. Oh, you should stop being so bloody fast. I'm I've paraphrasing. Actually, I've actually got exactly what Louder said. Oh, okay, go on. I don't know if we need a louder accent here. Who said it? Louder. <laughs> Who said it? You've been waiting for I've that been for weeks. Waiting for about a year to try and get that. Okay. In. Stupid. It's very simple for me. It was a miscalculation in Lewis's head. I blame him more than Nico. For the team and for Mercedes, it is unacceptable. Lewis was too aggressive to pass him. Oh, boy, should Nico give him room? It was his lead. Ah! <laughs> complete, that was his ears. It started to hurt a bit. <laughs> it's completely unnecessary. And for me, the disaster is on the Mercedes right after two corners. And I was having a lovely roast dinner. And I thought, oh, this is a good time to eat my roast dinner. But no, those two bastards get kicked out of the south. And I've got to go and talk to them and say to them, don't you kick each other out of the race at the start when I've just had my gravy. It's all congealing. And it's That's cut starting off good. That was yeah, cut out of the bit. The one really I saw, I think. Yeah, I, I thought it was a bit weird. Having, I, th- I thought the best um, analysis was by Anthony Davidson on Sky. Did you see that? He probably broke it down about why it happened. Well, he broke down. Yes, that's why. <laughs> I can't believe he cried. Friend. He was so <laughs> sad. He was emotional. 
but he, he sort of analysed the whole shebang and, and it seemed to make really good sense to me and I think we can all agree that we know a little bit more about racing than Nicky Lauder or Jackie Stewart um, and it seems perfectly clear to me that it was just a racing incident I mean if you want to blame Rosberg you can because it was his mistake that meant he was in the wrong engine mode and slowed up in the first place but then you could possibly argue that Hamilton maybe should have backed out of it a little bit. So who do you think benefits most from it? Well, Rosberg, because uh, Hamilton now has one less race to close the gap, because the gap between them stays the same. Although Rosberg did seem a little bit more knocked about it than Hamilton did. Well, because he's, he's got his eye on the Guinness Book of Records, is not he? That's you can awesome. buy that from any W.A. Smith. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why he's so worried about it. He's got loads of money. Okay, moving on. Let's see what people have been saying about Verstappen. Oh, here we go. Leighton Brown says, In all the fuss over the race, it's worth noting the minimum Verstappen is the oldest Dutchman to win a Grand Prix. Leighton, that is a fantastic point, and I think there's not been enough other statisticians talking about how this is true. Ayrton Rogers said... How was Max Verstappen able to do more in one race than Daniel was able to do in one season? Not fair. Sorry, Ayrton, if that's your real name. Whichever it is, fucking how cool is that? <laughs> this season, Daniel Kvyat, who is now my favourite driver of all time, only second behind <laughs> Nigel Mansell, I love an underdog, has managed to get on the podium and crash into Vettel three times. Oh, Max Verstappen's just got on the podium. <laughs> he hasn't crashed into Vettel. He did crash into Grosjean last year. That's not the same. Let's remind Terry on your thoughts on Verstappen. What, my thoughts now or my thoughts as they were? From oh, the have start. They, have they changed? No, I don't like him. I think he's overrated. I swear, two podcasts ago, you said you were growing fond of him. Yeah, then he got unfairly promoted because he's got like a... His father's talent. Oh, talent. <laughs> you, you say talent, I say an overbearing father. You know, same thing. And he, he lucked into a win. He lucked into a win by beating everybody else. Didn't beat the Mercedes. They put Ricardo yes, on, a, on a different strategy. Who are we to say that part of his skill wasn't causing the Mercedes to crash into each other? Also, we don't know. If Mercedes were there, maybe he would have overtaken them. I think he probably would have done. With Ricardo. Well, then, if he's that fucking good, why didn't he win a race in a Toro Rosso? Huh? Yeah. In fairness, he didn't win a race in a Toro Rosso, and only one person has. Yeah, and who's that? Sebastian Vettel. Exactly. In the wet. In Monza. Are you saying, Phil, this is the beginning? Is this where he starts to take over? Well, don't know. Let's not forget the last person to unexpectedly win in Spain in his 24th race, which is a weird coincidence, uh, was Pastor Maldonado. <laughs> who then became a laughingstock. Pastor Maldonado, Olivier Parnis, Robert Kubica, Max Verstappen, people who only ever won one race. Kubica probably would have won more had he not been the rally car oh, and hurt God, if my arm wasn't off, I would have won more. He's That's never, not an excuse. <laughs> he's never driven the car before. That's oh, more they're than all just the fucking same. <laughs> God, if you've driven one Formula One car, you, you can You haven't passed your driving test. <laughs> yeah, but I reckon... <laughs> If I got out of my, the Mini that I use for the driving lessons and got into a Vauxhall Corsa, I wouldn't be there going, oh my God, I can't do it. I'd just be like, ah, it's a car, isn't it? Uh, as a motoring journalist, I feel I should point out that there are little differences between different cars. Okay. Bluetooth code on the radio. Among others. It's, it's almost always zero, 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 zero. <laughs> All right, let's talk about Kvyat. Oh, yeah, you remember him? So Tango Mango, that's either a brilliant or an unfortunate name, said... 
Achievement of the day goes to Kavir for Toro Rosso's first ever fastest lap, which is a really Kvyat, good point. Kvyat, Kvyat. Should we maybe, as we've not met since things changed, explain for those cave dwellers amongst our listeners what what, what happened? Everyone fucking knows. Kvyat got fucking shafted, and Max Verstappen is, oh look, I've won a race. So to recap, Kvyat, despite having a podium uh, back in China, after his little uh, contretemps with Vettel, uh, last time out in between races uh, got the boot from uh, Red Bull Racing has gone back to Toro Rosso and his place was taken by Verstappen who we've already talked about it's not just a boot though is it it's a demotion I would label that as a boot down the rankings humiliation yes although he finished quite a long way behind Sainz maybe wasn't awful I mean I'm grasping at straws oh, here oh come on he got the fastest lap whilst he was probably crying whilst he heard that Verstappen was winning so he probably had tears in his eyes he's like all the wipe-off visors are gone yeah, he can't I'm, see where he's going because he's so sad I'm desperately trying to find a silver lining he's probably got Putin on the radio going if you don't win this race I'm going to kill you and he still manages a fast do you think lap? if what? Kvyat was still in his in the Red Bull he could have done what Verstappen did I should say yes at this point for what I've been saying before, shouldn't I? Yeah. Could no. you really see no. it, honestly? No. no. So we're worried about Kvyat. He must be sad. Do we send him a card? If we do, Simon Billington has the inside sorted. He's written us a Kvyat limerick. Daniel Daniel Kvyat, owner of a blue Red Bull hat. Then all of a sudden, from Helmut Marco's coven, you get replaced by the boy Wonder Verstappen. Simon, I'm a big fan of your limerick. I think you've you've hit the topicality spot on. But there's there's a basic rule structure that you're <laughs> avoiding here. The first line rhymes with the last line, and the middle lines rhyme with each other. And Coven and Sudden and Verstappen do not it. rhyme. No. It did, however, inspire us uh, to have a crack at some of our own. Yeah. Uh, here's mine. There was a young lad called Daniil who in Russia made a bit of a meal of getting past Vettel and showing his mettle. Now his driving has zero appeal. That was good. Did no, you I'm a professional that? writer, you see. Yeah. Uh, I can top that, Phil. There was this Russian who raced cars. In his Red Bull, he liked to go fast. Then he was told bye-bye by Dr. Helmut Glass-Eye just because he whacked Vettel up the arse. <laughs> what do you guys think is Kvyat's future now? Do we think he's booked? Uh, I think he'll be uh, dishing out hand jobs in GP2. <laughs> he can't get re-promoted, can he? Back to Red Bull. I mean, yeah, I think he could. Because let's be honest, this is not new behaviour for Red Bull, isn't it? Because they're they're all products of the Red Bull Young Driver programme, which you could successfully argue, I think, is probably the best and most successful Young Driver programme. But they're only really interested in getting another world champion. They don't really care about getting drivers who are quite good and maybe they'll have a nice career and they'll retire into obscurity they want Sebastian Fettles and this is not the first time they've ditched drivers halfway through a season or that drivers have come up through the Red Bull program into Toro Rosso and, and maybe into Red Bull and then disappeared and I actually wondered firstly if you think Kvyat's going to head that way and if you can how many of the previous Red Bull and Toro Rosso drivers you can remember Oh, this is easy. All of the ones in Formula E right now. <laughs> so you got Scott Speed. Very good. Vitantonio Liuzzi. Very good. Al Gaswari. Yeah. Jean-Eric Verne. Yeah. Um, Vettel. Yeah, he's done all right. Ricardo. Yeah, he's doing all right. I mean, current ones don't really count, but yeah. Oh, okay. Well, Kvyat then. <laughs> yeah. Carlos Sainz Jr. Uh, Christian Klein. Was he a Toro Rosso? Yeah. 
Um, all of whom, you know, have gone on to amazing things. Formula E. <laughs> yeah. um, how many more are missing? I mean, there's Sebastian Buemi, who in fairness oh, has become Buemi. a world champion in sports cars. Bordet. Bordet as well. <laughs> <laughs> he went back off to America with his tail between his legs because he came in with quite a lot of uh, backing behind him. Everyone thought he was going to be quite good and yeah, turned out not to be. And he, he was another one that was replaced halfway through a season. He's one of the many that's come from IndyCar and gone, I'm great at IndyCar, this Formula One shit's easy. And then coming to Formula One is shit. It goes back to IndyCar, world champion or something. Probably. So do we think that... Um, Kvyat is going to stay in F1 is he going to go to something else and be quite good at it as as in Weber and Buemi or is he going to become the next Scott Speed yes he'll go and do something else because otherwise it'd be really embarrassing do you think you, you don't think he's going to stick around in F1 no. I think all the other teams feel sorry for him in a way that Formula 1 teams aren't accustomed to because it's very it's very unusual to be so publicly shafted so I think he's going to stay in Formula 1 for a different team oh. I think he'll be in Force India next year do you no. think with the Russian Grand Prix on the calendar and him being the only current Russian driver with possible exception of Sergei Sorokin as a reserve driver, there might be a national Russian push to keep him in somehow, possibly through huge amounts of money? A national Russian push sounds painful. <laughs> Possibility, do you think? If he stays in for much longer, that's like us kicking you out of the podcast, which oh, is on the card, and then saying, oh, we've got a new mate. But Phil, like, come along, come and sit with us at the pub. I can help the producer. And help Matt, you know. Twiddle some knobs. Some <laughs> yeah, Phil, can you get us drinks when we're, yeah. we're quite busy? So, uh, <laughs> with our new guy, Gary. No, he'd be called uh, a name similar to yours. <laughs> so, like, Bill. Bill with two L's. <laughs> Thanks for all your tweets and emails. Feel free to tell us how wrong we are. You can tweet us at For F1's Sake or find us on Facebook where we're FF1S. Okay, so let's move on to the teams. We'll start with Red Bull. Now, I thought we'd have reasons why you'd want to be Max Verstappen. Number one, you've won your first ever race driving for Red Bull. Number two, you held off the most experienced driver in the field on really old tyres. Three, you're so young, you could be winning races for the next 20 years. Four, your dad is finally proud of you. And how about reasons why you wouldn't want to be Ricardo? One, a 17-year-old driving a car made for someone else was faster than you. Two, you're on a three-stop strategy, so you'd be able to take on the challenge of Vettel, which never came. Three, if you hadn't pitted on lap 28, Verstappen wouldn't have got into the top three. Four, everyone's making jokes about how you're not smiling now. <laughs> was it driver or strategy that won Max Verstappen the race? Yes. That's not an answer. It's driver or strategy. It's absolutely an answer. It was both. Well, was it? We've already said that if it was Kvyat and that car, we're not sure that he could have done the same thing. No, I, I would changed agree. my mind on that. I think he could have. I don't think he could have. To, to, to be able to keep someone like Raikkonen behind you for so long is not easy in a car that you've not driven before until that weekend. I mean, oh, he, it, was, it was strategy. It was stress. <laughs> if, if, if driving a simulator prepares you for a real racing car experience, then... Then you'd know. Then I'd know. Yeah, we've talked about this, yeah. <laughs> Doing much better in it now. No, I, I think it's both. I think strategy got him there in the first place because both Red Bull and Ferrari split their strategy because they didn't know how well the tyres were going to last in the second half of the race. And because Ricardo was leading at the time, they were like, right, we think the best way to do it is to put him on a three-stop. Fell did the same thing, and it didn't work out. It was worth a go. What happens if Ricardo had been on the same strategy? 
as Verstappen, mm -hmm. well, we now know with the benefit of hindsight that it, worked, it would have worked out really well and it probably would have meant that Ricardo would have won. But they didn't know that at the time because they didn't know how long the tyres were going to last. It just worked out that... You so know, you're saying there's the an luck element of the of greens. It was completely well. I mean, luck, basically, in the yeah they didn't know that it was going to be Verstappen's strategy that was going to work out best. Because the worry was that if they kept him on a two-stop, would the medium tyres last all the way to the end? If they hadn't, it'd have been screwed. As would Raikkonen, and it would have been Ricardo and then Vettel, and then probably Verstappen. It was a fascinating strategic race, and I will fold the record begrudgingly say Max Verstappen did quite well he did alright he, he was you know he was he was okay moving on to Mercedes so as we all know it went tits up at turn 4 Hamilton was aggressive Rosberg didn't leave enough room and everyone was upset Toto Wolff was more upset than everyone else put together however both have said sorry sorry so we're all friends now right so to put it into perspective, I thought we played the better or worse game. Ooh. Was the Mercedes crash better or worse when in 2014 Hamilton and Rosberg had the Belgium Grand Prix crash? Well, this is it's worse for chatting about because there's no nobody's blame. fault really. It was easy to blame Rosberg in that one. Yeah. And there was lots of drama. So from a team perspective, better? Yeah, they're, they're just gonna they're just gonna get on with the next race and get a one-two. All right. What about in 1989 at Suzuka, where Prost took Senna out? I wasn't alive, but I saw lots of videos. You were not alive. Went what? Oh, um, I'm gonna call you Max. I would say worse. <laughs> <laughs> I would say worse because I don't think we're gonna be talking about this episode in 20. This is the championship time. decider. Yeah, and I don't think we're gonna talk about this crash in 27 years' time like we do about the Senna Prost one. What about? When they declared the Titanic unsinkable and didn't put enough lifeboats on. Better or worse? To be fair, they've never said the Mercedes is uncrashable. Yeah. So let's talk about Ferrari. It was the best driving we've seen from Raikkonen in a while. But nothing motivates him, like the fact that his contract is up at the end of this year. Vettel was slagging people off again, which is now three races in a row. Do um, He said, what are we doing here, racing or ping pong? Which I had no idea what that was about. <laughs> they should have just come back on the radio and said... Racing, unless so, uh, under the new FIA rules of the radio, they can't actually answer that question. Is it racing <laughs> or ping pong? Sorry, sorry, sir, Seb, we're going to have to work that out for yourself. So I've been thinking about why. What is the reason for Vettel becoming a gobby git on the track? Is it A, he wishes he stayed at Red Bull? B, 28 is a difficult age for a man? C, lack of sleep, he has two children under the age of three? Or D, nobody is finding his jokes funny anymore? Well, C... He's got two children. When I just said Vettel's got kids, hasn't he? I, didn't, I forgot. I thought I read that somewhere. I've read it today in the notes. Um, <laughs> God, he's only 28. He's got four world championships. What have we been doing with our lives? <laughs> Why is 28 a difficult age for a man? I don't know. I just, I just, I've Because you no are idea. neither of those things. How would you know? Well, I don't know. I thought you might be like, mm, yeah, 28 is difficult. Is 28 difficult? I... Actually, I mean, 20, I had a great 27. 28 was... I moved to the Middle East. I suppose uh, it was quite difficult. Yeah. It was fun, though. So what would it have taken for Raikkonen to win? 
Oh, for him to give a shit? Um, I've never seen someone so lacklustre at the end of a race going, oh, there's three laps left. Oh, You've seen Raikkonen before, right? I am sick of... No, do you know, this whole thing about Raikkonen being all kind of like, oh, he doesn't do anything. He was boring, sardonic and dry off track, but on track he was exciting. Now, he's just going through the motions. I have no excitement when I see Raikkonen on track. When was anymore. the last time he was exciting? Was when it he was before he went Renault. away? No, when he was in the Renault and he was getting like a podium that was a real kind of oh god he's in a shit car and he's driving up to a podium since he's come back if, to Ferrari he's just gone so if th- Raikkonen hadn't been in that race that would have been quite boring I think I think he made that race exciting yeah, we start to get into that argument if Howard and Rosberg had gone and Max if it was just Max Verstappen followed by I don't know the Muppet Babies that would have been a good race <laughs> Actually, I would like to say that, that would have been a good race. Um, to, to be vaguely sensible for a second, I think uh, Raikkonen just didn't have, from what I understand, he didn't have the traction mostly at the last corner that would allow him to get past Verstappen because Verstappen was just basically, he was really good at the last corner onto the straight. Then then even with DRS, Raikkonen couldn't get... There was that bit where he messed up and he didn't overtake and that was... Anyway. I don't know, I don't know. When we do this whole thing where we say Max Verstappen does all these moves we don't expect, he's so amazing. What it's no, like no, I'm saying, no, if I'm he's done Max Verstappen did a mess up on like one of the last corners. Oh him, yeah, sorry. Yeah. And, <laughs> and he, if Raikkonen had been, you know, really on it, maybe he could have overtaken that. Exactly. Okay. Let's talk about Toro Rosso then and cool things down. <laughs> right. Oh yeah, it's all cool at Toro Rosso. Signs, mate, I truly pity you. You had a really good race. You put in one of the fastest laps. You were behind the two Red Bulls at the start. You get the best result of the season. But nobody noticed because attention-seeking Verstappen took every inch of the limelight. And as usual, you were pushed into the cold, dark shadows of apathy in people's minds. Kvyat claimed all weekend to not care about his demotion, but was clearly bitter and twisted. However, that didn't stop him setting the fastest lap of the race. When are these people going to start noticing these two are really good? They are. Well, science is, but he's not as good as Verstappen. And I don't think he's no, good as Ricardo either. either. Last year, they had equal points, equal stuff, and science had a lot of mechanical errors, mechanical retirements. In fact, I think net, he was, above, he was ahead of Verstappen. But nobody was talking about science last year. We were all talking about Verstappen. This week, there are four Red Bull drivers in Formula 1, and three of them are in a shit mood. <laughs> And that's all that matters. That's all that Helmut Marco cares about. Oh, as long as one of them's all right. Kvyat did nothing wrong. Well, no. It, well, and you mean in this race? Apart from when he took us, overtook somebody under the safety car and was told to give two places back. Again. No, no, not in this race. This year, he's done nothing wrong. And also, we, we can't Apart forget- from when he crashed into Vettel. It wasn't his fault. Well, the first one was. First, well, no, it wasn't. Yeah, it was. No, it wasn't. Absolutely was. <laughs> wasn't. He braked too late and no, smashed into him. No, it wasn't. <laughs> no, it wasn't. Should we go on to Williams? Because this is getting heated now. Just okay. say it. No, it isn't. No, Kvyat has done nothing wrong. He is a victim of political manoeuvring. That's true. And the, the, the reason that Max is now in the Red Bull isn't anything to do with what Kvyat did, even though my Limerick said that. It's actually... <laughs> It's actually because Max was being touted to go to Ferrari next year and Red Bull panicked and went, we don't want to lose Max Verstappen, that is so we'll switch true. them now. Uh-huh. That's why. That is true. Kvyat has done nothing wrong. I think well, we should save Kvyat. Free Kvyat. <laughs> right, Williams. Despite oh. the fact they've made no breaking news this season, they're the only team to have both drivers get points in every race. I think I saw them a couple of times during the race. What did you guys think of their weekend? 
started oh, badly, didn't it? Bored of Williams. Well, it started badly when Massa went out to get his qualifying lap and oh yeah, then decided to pull out of it for no reason, not realizing that he didn't have time to go back out again, and so started right at the back. How they did were, they mess that up? Well, because was, it's Williams. That's what they do. There was a great bit of argy bargy where. Uh, they're interviewing Pat Simmons. Who's put weight on? I've noticed he's not <laughs> working as hard as he used to. Um, that was very snide. It, we used to be are really. We, are, we, are we fat shaming the paddock now? I'm just saying he used to be really kind of skinny in that way of someone who's obviously up all night working on aerodynamics, and now he's just a little bit portly. Like he's can going, I, I'm going to finish just, at four, go to the pub. Just can saying. Can I just say, Terry, you're now almost two pints in, and we're planning on ordering chips in a bit, but you know. Well, yeah, that's but you, you're working it, isn't it? I'm, I'm, I'm <laughs> fine, lazy. I haven't won any world championships. <laughs> but on this note, Massa screwed up, and then Pat Simmons in the interview, basically in very Formula One speak, said, "Well, Massa screwed up." Yeah, and then Massa in the interview was in like, it. "The team screwed up." So there's a bit of argy bargy happening there. I believe, uh, I believe the team slightly relented later on, but basically still said, "Yeah." Massa shouldn't have dropped out of that lap because he got stuck up in a bit of traffic and pulled out of the lap but would have had about the best part of a second still if he'd have carried on so he would have got through but another fuck up by Williams Right, so let's talk about McLaren It was another week of McLaren's peaks and troughs So in good news this was Button's best finish of the season but let's be honest had Mercedes not taken each other out he wouldn't have got near the points On the plus side Alonso was the first McLaren this year to get to Q3 but he had to retire after 45 laps due to Honda's software command problem. And it was good that Button got some points for the team, but nobody noticed. And finally, apparently things are looking positive for Monaco, but Alonso had to face the shame of retiring in his home race in Spain. So, do the pros outweigh the cons? Oh, no. <laughs> okay, and the rest? Renault made a daring start by kicking things off on the hard tyre and despite my laughing at their foolishness it turns out that was a pretty good idea. Palmer did okay with his two-stop race finishing in 13th. Magnussen got a post-race time penalty for hitting Palmer in the final lap. In his defence though I would have thought he got away with that seeing as what else was going on at the time. I mean in his defence I'd hit Palmer. (laughs) Force India Perez had another successful race. He scored points coming in seventh. Hulkenberg had a small and unimpressive fire 20 laps in, but he helped putting it out, which I liked. Is Perez a man to watch? Is Hulkenberg a fire warden? I did know. I think it was Hulkenberg's uh, when he when he went off with his with his rear end flame. Did you notice the marshals coming to put the fire out? One of them it was basically like Laurel and Hardy coming up. One of them pointed his fire extinguisher at the back of the car fired it off it bounced straight into the car bounced back and hit his colleague right oh. in the face it was tremendous it was another Beautiful. classic somebody should do a, a sort of DVD of, of hilarious Marshall foul ups <laughs> with that and the guy in Canada that fell over about four times when he was running across the track you guys wow. anyway what was the question uh, is Perez a man to watch yeah maybe okay next up Manor they both finished However, it was a long and boring race for the two drivers as they took it in turns to look at each other's rears. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> Sauber. They may not have money, but they still have spirit. They spent the entire race fighting each other, which was pointless and a massive waste of everyone's time. But it was fun, and that's what F1 is all about. It's nothing to do with money. Are they always going to be just fun? Or did Ericsson show that he's heading out of the playground by coming in 12? No. 
Why? Got to, I'd like to know what it's like to be in Samba right now. And, like, if you're Marcus Ericsson, are you on friendly terms with the mechanic? Is there a kind of real camaraderie of, like, we're going down like the Titanic, we're going to just carry on playing? Or is everyone just really pissed off? I like to imagine... I, I, changing sport for a second, Diamond Aston Villa fan. Um, so I think I know a thing or two about what it's like to be on a sinking ship with no help of redemption and everything being terrible. Uh, and I, if, if Villa are anything to go by, then the mood will be absolutely vile and everybody will hate everybody within it. Okay. okay. And finally, Hayes. Hayes. I'm not doing it anymore. Gutierrez had a good race, actually the best one yet. And uh. he also did a good overtake. He nearly got points, but then didn't. Grosjean got in everyone's way at the beginning. He had an issue with his front wing and then retired with brake problems. Now, could Gutierrez be one to watch out for now? What, that you mean Gutierrez after having one of the, in your words, the best one yet and doing really well and still not getting any points? No. I think good you point. sounded just like Gutierrez's mum then by going, oh, he had a good overtake. <laughs> Did you see that? Oh, he had a good, just the, just the one, just the one though, you know. Yeah. He's I'm, been a bit I'm disappointing, very proud of him. but the car—I mean, the car he is just better. not as good as we first thought it would. It's ha- it seems to me like Haas just had the luck of the green for the first two races, where it just happened that straight out of the box, the car was perfectly suited to the first two tracks. Like Max Verstappen. Okay, so all of which takes us to the standings. Over to you, Terry Saunders. Thank you very much. So, in first position with 100 points, I'm shutting the door. Second, I've no idea how I'm second either. Third is, if you no longer go for a gap that exists, you're no longer a racing driver or in the race. Fourth, I'm a whiny little bitch. Fifth, I'm fine, stop asking. Sixth, I'm going to be fucking unbearable now. Seventh, I'm so bored of this. Eighth, I remember when I was young and full of promise. Ninth, I think this week could have gone better. That's Kvyat. Tenth, I deserved a week off. Eleventh, I'm the second least angry Red Bull driver. Twelfth, I don't want the team to think I'm mad. Thirteenth, I'm not as impressive as I used to be. Fourteenth, I'm not very magnanimous. Fifteenth, with six points, I'm Sulkenberg. I, I kind of got a bit tired by this point. Sixteenth, um, I started Formula One when Max Verstappen was three. And seventeenth, with one point, Stoffel Ruffel. <laughs> and the constructors as a reimagined Snow White and the Nine Dwarfs. First, awkward. Second, annoyed. Third, happy. Fourth, envious. Fifth, jealous. Sixth, despondent. Seventh, confused. Eighth, deluded. Ninth, sneezy. <laughs> So we do this every podcast. It is Terry with the State of F1. The FIA, in their infinite wisdom, changed the rules about the minimum age of drivers as soon as Max Verstappen got a super licence. This was, of course, the right and proper thing to do. No 18-year-old should be a Formula 1 driver. They'll be dangerous and erratic as they'll mainly be thinking about Pokemon and their constant erections. (laughs) But Max has gone and done the unthinkable and made the FIA look foolish. Coming in and winning a race at this level shouldn't be possible. So how has it happened? Well, one of the flaws in the modern Formula 1 era is that the sport is so safe, the drivers are so well numerated or renumerated. Remunerated? Remunerated. 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 Paid. The drivers are so well paid and the testing is so limited that they outstay their welcome. 
Felipe Massa is a lovely man, I'm sure, but 2008 was his chance, and if we keep saying about how his reaction to not winning the World Championship was the epitome of dignified sportsmanship, then let's update it by saying the most dignified thing you can do right now is to quit. Not turn up for work in Monaco, go and retire, I wonder where your erection went. <laughs> Ricardo Patrese, Rubens Barrichello, Michele Alboreto, Andrea De Cesaris, Adrian Sutil, Jarno Trulli. These are all names of drivers who, let's face it, would struggle to get a statue built in their hometown. <laughs> there are more exciting drivers trying to break into Formula 1, but they can't because it's all clogged up. Jensen Button started his first F1 race when Max Verstappen was three years old. In Formula 1 terms, he's an old git, a has-been, shitting himself in a care home whilst his family doesn't visit. <laughs> but, I hear you yell, we need famous drivers. We need history. We don't want a bunch of Max Chilton's every year. You're not suggesting a maximum age, are you, Terry? No, I'm not suggesting a maximum age. As a 36-year-old, I don't want my own sweeping recommendations to be the thing that gets in the way of my chance if a big team comes knocking. But something has to be done. But don't worry, I have a solution. I'm not proposing a minimum age for F1. I'm not proposing a maximum age. I'm proposing a maximum tenure of career. In my proposal, as a Formula 1 driver, you get 10 seasons maximum. That's your lot. That would sharpen a lot of the has-beens up and also stop the ludicrousness of both Button and Barrichello in recent years doing the last race of a season with no real idea whether it was their last race or not. If you're an Alonso finding yourself in an uncompetitive Ferrari in 2010 with one year less of your decade, you can take a sabbatical. Let someone young in the car until you come back for your big grand final year. If this came in for 2017, we would be done with Kimi, Jensen, Fernando and Rosberg. Lewis Hamilton would be in his swan song final year. God, has even Rosberg been going for 10 years? Maybe it should be a 15-year tenure. <laughs> 20, maybe. Yeah, something like that. 20-year tenure. tenure, that's fine. That's my suggestion. We're done. <laughs> I mean, it's sort of like what happens with the US presidency. Yes, because of Nixon, Watergate, this is what I mean. It's all coming back. Everything's, everything's related. But if they took a sabbatical, what would happen when they came back to the young driver that took their place? How? What would be the sort of dynamic of of how it was decided? Because loads of people will have ten years left or some years left. Would they just have like filler drivers while they have a break? Well, a filler driver would be an up and coming driver, and if they do well, they might threaten the sabbatical coming back. But on the whole. You know, if you had, like, Daniel Kvyat replacing Alonso for a year, then Alonso comes back, does his final year. I think everyone would get a bit complacent with that. Because they'd be like, oh, I've probably got ten whole years. I can have five years of not doing a lot. But they're complacent now. My initial reaction is, that's madness. You're a man insane. Yes. But I can't actually think of a logical argument against it. So, uh, I guess it has to pass. Just think of the story of saying, Lewis Hamilton is in his final year of Formula 1. He's got three years left... If he wants to beat so-and-so's record, he's got three years left to do it. It makes everything all kind of... It, so it's like Twitter. Yeah. It would mean that they sort of... Re- <laughs> They've got, got to limits. <laughs> you would, it would mean that you'd... In a, in a way, you'd have to reset all the records. But because it would anyway. mean that a load of the records couldn't be got no, I was thinking that, but we have anyway. Because the amount of races in a season this year means all the records are kind of ludicrous. The amount yeah. of points they score... Yeah, the points everything. have all changed and yeah. everything. These be 16 races a year, now there's 22. So when they go, oh, so says one... But 20 races on the trot. So yeah, that's only half a fucking year now. So fuck it. <laughs> OK, so that's all good. But Terry, what does this mean for the state of F1? Well, because we're talking about ages, I thought we'd link it back to my age. I'm currently 36. I reckon 27 was about my peak. 
And so what's Formula One at right now? I'd say Formula One is probably 33. So it's past its peak? Past its peak. Okay, so that's almost it from us. It's goodbye to Phil Tromans. Goodbye. We haven't had time to talk about loads of stuff because loads of stuff happened since the last episode. But chiefly, some testing happened. Williams have a funky new wing and a load of new young drivers appeared. Also, Heineken is coming in as a big sponsor for F1, which means we're going to have a very timely, a big Dutch sponsor at all the races. Oh, Sitting alongside Emirates and Rolex. Conspiracy! And Terry Saunders. Yeah, we also had a time to talk about an article that appeared this week where the Williams Formula One team are helping uh, intensive care units with baby care, and they're going to—they're uh, using their skills as a pit stop crew working together to help hospitals, which is a wonderful feel-good story. But it does make me think: stop looking at hospitals, work on your Formula One team. We'll be back in two weeks for the Monaco Grand Prix. Subscribe and never miss an episode. And if you're watching the race live, you can do worse than follow us on Twitter. We're at for F1 sake. I'm G. Carres. Until then, goodbye. Bye. Sports Social Podcast Network.